It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines, a panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. It's a Monday up and down the West Coast. And from our Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center studios, this is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton in the Northern Adirondacks at my cottage with my co-host, the irreverent John Riley, back at our studios in San Diego. John, it's the end of the baseball season. NFL football is in high gear, and there's a ton of stories out there to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, we're getting into October now, which is even better than September as far as sports months go. But there's big news with the Padres, the NFL games, the college football games were crazy over the weekend. So let's get going, Lee. Our Monday bonus podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. For the fall, build it, enjoy it, you definitely will. John, let's start with Major League Baseball. And the big storyline, San Diego Padres. And the big storyline, exit meetings. Normally happens (laughs) the days after the season ends. But the bigger storyline is what has just happened with the Padres. And that is the reality that... Peter Seidler has given a vote of confidence to everybody in the Pondre front office, issued a press release at 11 a.m. on Monday morning. Status quo. There will be no changes. Meetings beginning immediately to try to solve what was wrong with Padre baseball. I think they will redefine the roles of the general manager and the field manager. However, Peter Seidler did not mention A.J. Preller's name. He did not mention Bob Melvin's name, but says full vote of confidence for everybody in the front office. We will learn from what we went through this year, and we will be a World Series team next season. So that's the starting point of the conversation, despite the fact that nearly 80% of the fans who take part on my website's poll wanted A.J. Preller removed. There will be no removal, and they're adopting the Cubs' philosophy wait till next year. John, your reaction? Yeah, this is on one level, not surprising on a le- another level, very surprising because normally Peter, Peter Seidler has shown this loyalty to his team and he's often wanted to have that consistency going back to the time when Ron Fowler was leading the bus or driving the bus and they hired Mike D and AJ and who was it back at that time? I guess it was Andy Green. Um, but it just it's gotten to the point now where everyone says that relationship between Melvin and Preller is so dysfunctional, something's got to give. So I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. If if he's given full confidence to his staff and they go into these meetings together, they've got to come to a resolution. And if one of those guys won't change their behavior, then they may step down voluntarily. Well, point said. And the question is, A, does A.J. Preller change his methodology? And B, Does Bob Melvin want to be here considering the jobs that are opening up over the last three days in Major League Baseball? Might he want to be released from the final year of his contract to go take a job somewhere else? At the end of the day, I think it's a terrible season of underachievement. Uh, Padres go 82-80. and Yes, they won 14 of their last 16, but 13 of those 14 wins are against the bottom-dwelling teams in baseball. And there are huger questions to be answered aside from just Preller versus Melvin and the Civil War. Do you try really hard to keep Blake Snell on maybe a three-year contract? 
why would you let the relief ace of the year, Josh Hader, walk out the door without making an attempt there? Do you keep or do you remove Juan Soto, which makes no sense to me. The USA Today is of the opinion that the Padres are going to trade him. And then what do you do with the group of starters at the back of the rotation who all have option clauses in Waka, Lugo, and Martinez? And what will the payroll be? Will it be $250 million this coming season? But how do you fix the bottom of the roster if you're going to keep the payroll the way it is, knowing what you got to pay all these other guys to retain them? And I'm sorry for Padre fan and for some certain segment of the media, stop celebrating underachievement. And by the way, managerial openings for the Mets, the Giants, and Cleveland, and there may be more in the next 24 to 48 hours. So we may have answered one question. Wait till next year with Preller and Melvin. Awful lot of other baseball questions that need to be responded to. Go ahead. What do you think, Lee, of the rumors of Bob Melvin going to the Giants and maybe even the Padres trying to trade the manager to the Giants? I think both things probably have some validity. I mean, Bob is from the Bay Area. Bob managed across the Bay in Oakland. Bob's got a relationship with Farhan Zaidi, the general manager of San Francisco. But the more I think about it, why would you vacate a potential World Series team to go somewhere else and really be down the food chain of the ability to compete? San Francisco is a real rebuild. This might be a bit of a retool in San Diego if you can come to some middle ground about relationship with the general manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious to see how this all shakes out because if this dysfunctional relationship between Preller and Melvin cannot be resolved, if it's grudge mode, if it's a civil war and he's not going to fire anyone, then something's got to give. So, you know, it's I can't imagine they're going to have like a one hour friendly corporate meeting today. This is going to be a series of conversations that have probably been happening for weeks, if not months. So I'm waiting for the next shoe to drop. Adopt the three words that I mentioned at the top of our Monday bonus podcast. Redefine the roles. There you okay, go. let's move on from Padre baseball to talk about the next team out here that's in trouble. Yeah, the Angels, I mean, they've got a lot of work to do to kind of rebuild the infrastructure of this organization, Lee. What do you think is going to happen up in Anaheim? Uh, Decision days coming. Uh, Decision days for the owner. Decision days for the general manager. Decision day as it relates to the guy in the dugout. Crushed by injuries. 73-89. and A team that we thought had pushed themselves to the doorstep of being a wildcard team with all the deals they made at the trade deadline and they fell apart because of all the injuries. But it's bigger It's bigger than that. Does Artie Moreno want to be an owner any longer? Does the general manager, Perry Manasian, deserve more time to try to complete this massive rebuild? And do you give any credit to Phil Nevin for holding the team together after they were beheaded because of all the significant of the injuries, first Trout, then Otani, and the ongoing mess with Rendon? Mike Trout on Sunday makes the public Pledge of Allegiance. He wants to stay in Anaheim, does not want to be treated. Otani, four minutes standing ovation, final home game of the season, final home game, period. We're in an angel uniform. And then Anthony Rondone, three years of bitter disappointment because of all the injuries. So there's a lot of questions, and it just does, does not have to do with the guy in the dugout, the manager. It's got to do starting at top. What is this owner going to do to try to restore the franchise? Can he resuscitate 
his own image and reputation in Anaheim and Orange County, because he's not held in very much regard by virtually anybody. And he's really been critiqued and condemned across the baseball circles too, John. Yeah, so he he kind of had one foot out the door about a year ago, right? He was trying to sell the team. What what happened? Didn't that did he not get any bidders or did he have second thoughts? Because it seems to me you've got to make a change at the very, very top. Artie Moreno may not be the right guy for this position. He's tried hard. He's made some good acquisitions. He's made some horrible mistakes and he's been beset by a ton of problems. I really thought the drug incident with his PR director, the players in the clubhouse, the terrible death of Tyler Skaggs uh, drove him from baseball. But then he came back after he did. He had three offers for the club at significant profit and he elected because he does love baseball. He elected to stay, but he's still got a stadium issue. He's trying to resolve with the city of Anaheim. Of course, that led to the resignation of the mayor on a corruption charge. He's obviously got a farm system that's still way down the ladder in terms of ratings. He's got all kinds of injury problems, and now he's got Otani as a free agent. Um, at one point, I was a huge Artie Moreno backer, but just based on all the mistakes he's made, the way he's treated people, I, I, I just don't know that this guy can come forward and have any credibility within his own community. You remember so when? Do you remember when he bought the team, and then they uh, had five dollar beers, and everyone was really excited for Artie Moreno? Well, uh, that yeah, but that was way back in the day. Yeah, back I mean, the, but the, the fans the loved day, him at the beginning. <laughs> back in the day does not mean very much when you've missed the playoffs seven years in a row and you've wasted away some valuable years of A, Trout, and B, Otani. Yeah. Of course, the third team here on the West Coast is the Dodgers with 100 wins in their pocket. Now they get the five days off to reset the button with their starting rotation, and the Dodgers are going to the playoffs once we get through Wild Card Weekend. And that being said, John... We go to the wild card weekend scoreboard. Yeah, here we go. Wild card weekend. So this is like a best of three on the road, right, Lee? Exactly. This thing starts on Tuesday. Toronto Blue Jays, Minnesota Twins. I keep waiting for the Jays to explode. You look at that batting order and you think, well, they're going to run away with the division rights. Did not happen. Pitching staff problems there. Big bats, Vlad Guerrero, Matt Chapman, George Springer. Bichette. They've got a lot of guys who can swing it, but they've not swung it with any consistency at all. And for Minnesota, just glad to be there. You know, the, the Twins, they've got a really young team in a really weak division. So they win the division. If I ask anybody on the street, can you name me a Minnesota Twins player? I don't think I'd get much response. So I think this is a walkover for Toronto if their guys hit. And their guys have been hot and cold all season. Texas, Tampa Bay, it's a big issue. The Rangers were running away in the American League West and then just injury after injury after injury. Their pitching staff, which was really good front half of the schedule, they got guys on the disabled list. This is not good right now because now they're down in pitching unless Nathan Evoldi bounces back. He's had only one start since coming off the disabled list. Now they got another problem. Corey Seager's hurt again. I will tell you this, though. Their batting order, led by Marcus Simeon, who's had a career year, they can still hurt you, but their pitching staff is really better. Tampa Bay's come through terrible siege of injuries to their pitchers, but they do have Randy Rosarina. They find a way to put the ball in play, but because they're wafer thin in starting pitching, going against a pretty, pretty prolific Texas batting order, Tampa could get knocked out of this in the first round. 
On we go to the National League. Milwaukee, Arizona. Unbelievable second half of the season for the Brew Crew. When you think they were down their top three starting pitchers for a large chunk of the first half of the season, and they still wound up winning the division race, that's pretty impressive. Uh, what what I, I think is that Milwaukee's got enough guys to put the ball in play. Chris Yelich has had a strong second half of the season. they got guys who can hit some home runs. It's not a sexy, sexy batting order, but they do have really good, finally healthy, frontline starting pitching. Arizona, uh, it's kind of a mixed bag, really young team, uh, plays station-to-station baseball, doesn't hit a ton of home runs. Zach Gallon's had a spectacular season. I don't know that there's enough pitching behind Zach Gallon to make much of a difference. I think Milwaukee takes out Arizona. Philadelphia, Miami. Marlins made some good deals at the trade deadline. They got some good nickel and dime hitters. They've added a little bit of power. I don't know that the Marlins have enough pitching. I don't know if anybody has enough pitching against the Philly lineup. My goodness. Kyle Schwarber and his 50-plus home runs. And Bryce Harper, who's finally healthy. And Castellanos. And a bunch of other guys that can hit home runs led by JT Riomuto and Alec Baum. Uh, Philadelphia, just a really, really good team. So I got the Phillies and I got Milwaukee. I got Texas and I got Toronto. Wild card week. Your turn, John. Pick them. Pick them, pal. Um, I, these are great matchups. I, I like a lot of these. I agree with you. Blue Jays, you know, they kind of are loaded. They've got all that talent there. The Twins, Name a twin, Chris Paddock. How about him? You know, former Padre. So, yeah, the twins are in that NL Central where, I mean, you don't need much to win that division. I think the Blue Jays are going to roll. I'm rooting for Boach in Arlington, you know, to to win there with the Rangers. I think that would be a, a great story for him as a, as a first-year manager. But Tampa always surprises us in the playoffs. And with some of those guys in, in Texas still injured, I'm going to go with Tampa here. Um, I to for the upset, um, Arizona, Milwaukee, you know, Milwaukee just never seems to be a very sexy pick. Um, so I'm going to go with Corbin Carroll and the, and the Diamondbacks, Phillies, Marlins, the Phillies will be favored, but you know, I don't want to see the Phillies advance again. I mean, they knocked off our Padres last year, so I'm going to pick the Marlins there. So give me Toronto, Tampa, Arizona, and Miami. For the norm. John doing his version of the podcast from out in left field. Okay, we go from baseball, some weekend in the NFL, huh? Oh, my gosh. I mean, the the games over the weekend were unbelievable, starting with the the Chargers and Raiders. I mean, what a disaster that was. Well, let's start with the Chargers-Raiders game. What a performance by Khalil Mack. Six quarterback sacks, all-time Chargers record, within one sack of the all-time NFL record. Now, is that a positive for the Chargers? Well, Mac played well. It's definitely a negative for the Raiders. It shows how really bad a franchise they are. Offensive line, deplorable. They did not have their starting quarterback, Jimmy G, ruled out because of the concussion. Last minute, they bypassed Brian Hoyer, the journeyman quarterback. They went with the rookie from Purdue, Aiden O'Connell. He looked terrified. He was terrible in the first half. Wound up with three fumbles and an interception. All that said, with Aiden O'Connell and Josh Jacobs, they came back in the second half and they were driving for the game-winning touchdown in the final minute when O'Connell threw an interception down on the goal line. Chargers shut out in the entire second half. Offense just does not seem to be right right now because they don't have much of a running game. And with the loss of Mike Williams, Justin Herbert, 
has a fracture of a finger on his left hand, got it caught in a helmet towards the end of the game. He just wasn't real strong getting the ball down the field. Chargers won because they made the final play of the game for the second week in a row, an end zone goal line interception. Otherwise, that thing could have wound up in overtime. Chargers are just a mystery of a personality of a team to me, John. They're just they're just not making chunk plays down the field. Doesn't look like they can protect the quarterback. Justin Herbert had to scramble away from sacks seven times in that Sunday game. Did make a couple of plays to save some drives along the way, but Chargers are so beat up. Now, lucky for them, this is a bye week. It's the right time because hopefully when they come off this bye, we're going to play the Dallas Cowboys. When they come off this bye, they're going to have everybody on defense led by Joey Bosa back healthy, and they'll have, obviously, Austin Eckler, we believe, back coming off his high ankle sprain. You'll have the week uh, for Justin Herbert to help repair that minor fracture of the finger, and then maybe they'll be able to figure out their systems where they can go down the field much, much more. So that that was quite a, a, a struggle for the Chargers at one point, blowing out the Raiders, nearly let the Raiders back in the game with a minute to play in regulation. All right, let's talk Miami-Buffalo. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a big-time game. And we're going to see these guys again later in the season. Josh Allen throws for 320 and four touchdowns, adds the fifth touchdown running. Stephon Diggs goes for 120 yards through the air. They had six touchdowns and a field goal in the first eight possessions. They destroyed Miami's defense. And Dolphins started quick with Tua, but the longer you went, Buffalo figured him out more. Tua finishes with 282. Uh, He obviously had an interception, took four sacks, which he's not taken all season long. And I'll say this, Buffalo really put a lid on Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, held them to a combined nine receptions with no chunk plays down the field. Buffalo, big win over Miami. Kansas City and the Jets. Talk about teams that don't look like themselves. Chiefs had a big lead, and then Zach Wilson led the Jets back. Mahomes throws for 302, but he threw two more interceptions. They're just not the same team. Wilson was getting booed viciously. He rallied his team from a 17-0 deficit and got him within a touchdown at the final possession and fumbled the ball away. But he, outside of that fumble, no interceptions, moved the pocket, moved the ball. He looked like the kid that we saw play when he started Brigham Young University. Uh, Kansas City, sloppy game. They've had a bunch of sloppy games. Their wide receivers just don't look dangerous. It's just not the same wide receiver core right now. So Kansas City won, but it was rather unimpressive. Dallas, New England, 38-3 Cowboys. Dallas came out with fire in their eyes after getting beat the week before by Arizona. This is the worst beating a Bill Belichick team has ever taken in New England, 38-3. Benches quarterback Mac Jones after three more turnovers. Dallas piled up 377 yards against the Patriots. New England is 1-3. And And since Tom Brady changed addresses, Belichick's teams, 25-28. and But that's, that's not the worst spot. In the, in the AFC. That one belongs to Pittsburgh. Steelers look terrible. Steelers might have to make a coaching change with the offensive coordinator, Matt Canada. Nothing seems right. Texans pasted Pittsburgh. C.J. Stroud, 306 yards, two touchdowns for the Texans against the Steeler defense. Kenny Pickett, 
did absolutely nothing on offense. 114 yards, interception, three more sacks. Pittsburgh's offense just, it looks pedestrian. It, it just does not look like it's a modern-day NFL offense. So there's going to have to be something that changes there because you're committed to the quarterback. But they don't look as if they have enough firepower people around Kenny Pickett. And Matt Canada just it seems not to be calling any of the plays. And I know you don't like to blow things up this early in a season. Uh, it may be Mike Tomlin might have to do that. So, John, from my corner of the world, my observations on the big storylines in the NFL, what are yours? Well, I, I love seeing what C.J. Stroud is doing because there was a lot of doubt and question of whether he was NFL ready. But, boy, they plugged him in, and he's performing better than Bryce Young, performing better than Anthony Richardson. I think Houston's got to be excited about that kid. Um, G- the Chiefs-Jets game, I watched that last night, and it was an ugly game to begin with. But it got interesting at the end. And you're kind of, at least for me, I'm rooting for Zach Wilson because he was the kid that was counted out and now he's back in and he looks sharp. But that ferocious New York Jets defense couldn't stop Mahomes on those final drives. And he was running for like 25 yards on third and long. Um, that was a problem to contain him. But I, I just got to go back to the, the Charger Raider game. SoFi was in a blackout. I mean, there was all these Raider fans there. And once again, Brandon Staley goes for it on fourth down in his own territory and fails and almost hands the game to the Raiders to win. I mean, how much more of these kinds of decisions by Staley can Charger fans put up with? Concur with you wholeheartedly. And what did you think about the Miami-Buffalo shootout? You know, I was trying to watch it on TV, but it wasn't on my any of my channels. I got stuck with the Rams and the Colts. So I kind of kept an eye on the game through my phone and my my computer. And that was it. That was a beatdown. I mean, I I was really shocked by how dominant the the Buffalo offense was. And you figure Tua, I thought he was gonna, you know, be scoring 30, 40 points, but it just didn't get there. Okay, we get to halftime, our Monday bonus podcast brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber Home Center Stores. Fall is upon us. You've got projects for the fall and maybe even into the winter, or if it's just minor repairs. What you need is take a walk through the nine different locations of Dixie Line Lumber Stores and see all the things they have to offer for you. It does not matter what the project it is, whether it's cabinets, whether it's flooring, whether it's walls, whether it's landscaping outside, whether it's a patio deck, you need Dixie Line Lumber. Check out all the Dixie Line Lumber has to offer you. Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores, nine locations to serve you. As we say in the fall, fix it, build it, you will enjoy it. Thanks to Dixie Line. Back here on Monday Bonus Podcast, I'm on the road at my cottage in the northern Adirondacks. John is anchoring from our studios in San Diego. John, we just talked NFL football. Let's talk college football. Yeah, I mean, some great games. And we were really concerned about these Southern California teams, particularly SC and San Diego State. And boy, did those games kind of blow up in different ways. I guess question one, who is USC? And question (laughs) two, what's wrong with San Diego State? Let's talk about the Trojans. Caleb Williams, six touchdown passes, 403 yards, jumped all over Colorado early. Unfortunately, the defense let them back into the game. Caleb is running away with the Heisman Trophy votes right now. Hit 17 passes in a row at one point in that game against Deion Sanders' team. 
Shador Sanders, really gritty performance in a big hole, did not give up. 371 yards passing, four touchdowns. Colorado ran for 183 trying to catch up in the game, but USC just kept hitting them with big plays. Five touchdown plays of plus 20 yards for Southern Cal. End of the line, yeah, they're unbeaten. End of the line, they're not going to go in deep into the playoffs with this Alex Grinch-led USC defense. They just continue to give up gobs and gobs of yardage. And when they start playing some of the other people in the Pac-12, because it is the year of the quarterback in the conference, SC could get beat, because I, I just think their defense is, is not very good. San Diego State got beat, and it was awful. Air Force Academy. Zach Larrier, option quarterback. I've watched these guys run this option package for years. This is one of the fastest quarterbacks I've ever seen. And then he throws the ball through for 189, ran for 103. Air Force put up 476 yards against Brady Hoke's defense, 287 yards rushing. Aztecs gave up chunk plays. Their DBs, who've been brilliant over the years, lost in coverage. John, they gave up plays to Air Force of 26, 28, 34, 41, 53, and 54 yards. They could not get off the field. Jalen Maiden, 123 yards passing. There was a touchdown, but another interception, another turnover. San Diego State has lost four in a row. Second time in Brady Hoke's career here with the Aztecs, he's lost four in a row. The question is, has he lost his magic as a head coach and as a recruiter? And I think the other question, how the hell are you going to sell any tickets for the rest of the home schedule at Snapdragon Stadium with the way this team is playing? I would have never imagined this group would have lost four in a row. John, your thoughts on the Trojans and talk to me about the Aztecs. Love that Trojan game um, up in Boulder because the uh, coach prime and he got his squad, you know, really ramped up there at halftime, made it a really interesting game. I was really fired up for them. I, I expect Colorado is going to keep improving. That game was a lot closer than I expected. I'm all in on Colorado, but we knew they were overmatched against the Trojans. The San Diego State game was a disaster. I mean, just a flat-out pathetic disaster of a game. Trying to watch that on TV, it just it was painful to watch it. But boy, social media is lit up. They want Brady Hoke's head. They're already um, Aztec alumni are already coming up with new names of coaches to recommend that Wicker hire. I mean, does Brady Hoke survive this? Survives the season, but if this thing really turns badly, and I don't know how a four-game losing streak couldn't be the worst, if it turns badly, they're going to have to evaluate because the program's not what the program was. Uh, so I, I don't go for coaches' heads in the season very often, but Brady does not look like he can do the job in modern-day uh, NCAA football. Okay, we go from college football. Let's talk hoops. Hoops. Yeah, yeah. we covered this trade here in our last podcast episode, you know, with, uh, you know, Lillard, you know, moving on to the Bucks. But there's been some, uh, I guess I could say, some aftershocks of this, this trade. Well, Portland got a bonanza in the trade with Milwaukee that sent Damian Lillard to form a big three with the Milwaukee Bucks. But they turned around on Sunday and they traded away the key guard who came in the deal, Drew Holiday. He goes to the Boston Celtics, and it's a bit of a surprising trade. And Portland winds up getting two number ones, center forward Robert Williams and veteran guard Mal Brogdon. So Boston now has its own big three in Tatum Brown and obviously Drew Holiday. 
Portland in total rebuild winds up with DeAndre Ayton. They wind up with Robert Williams, two really good big men. They go out and get the veteran guard, Brogdon. They get three first-round draft picks, plus Scooty Henderson, the guard they drafted this past June, who they think is going to be a really great NBA player. So Portland's done a real makeover in terms of letting go a future Hall of Famer in Lillard, but getting back volumes of assets. I I think it's win-win, obviously, for Milwaukee. Now it's win-win Boston. And Portland won't be in the dumper. Portland will just be a very, very different, younger basketball team. Yeah, Portland has really recovered from this, you know, Lillard chaos and crisis. I They got a lot back when you add up the both deals together. So good on them. I'm happy to see Lillard have a shot in Milwaukee. The Drew Holiday going to the Celtics surprised me. But, you know, we're going to find out. I mean, just as a crazy aside, how did Holiday's mother come up with the spelling of his first name? What is it? J-R-U-E. I mean, that's pretty creative. Uh, but, you know, Celtics got to like having that uh, that third piece to that puzzle. He's a big-time player. Let's go from basketball. Let's talk hockey. This is a really sad story. This guy was really liked. His name was Chris Snow. He was an assistant coach. He was a former NHL player, became an assistant general manager who specialized in analytics. He was with the Calgary Flames. He was fighting ALS. Everybody in the National Hockey League put their arms around this guy three years ago. He fought a real battle against ALS. This past week, he suffered a massive heart attack at home, immediate brain damage. He was in a coma. The family put out the text message that he had left us, even though he was still being kept alive. We found out afterwards that the NHL took a step forward to try to help the family so they could do organ donor transplants on behalf of Chris Snow's name. He has finally passed away. Um, Spectacular guy, really beloved, taken way too early. Very sad story in the National Hockey League. Golf, golf. Did you watch golf? Were you shocked at what you watched when you watched golf, John? Right up. I did, and the, the Americans really choked on this, and especially on the final day. Well, nice headlines, big putts, big blowouts. <laughs> they never recovered from day one. USA trailed nine and a half to two and a half after the first day of the Ryder Cup in Italy. They got a rude welcoming by the Euro players who dominated them early. Rude welcome for the Euro fans who must not like America. And I'll tell you, guys were making amazing shots. John Rahm had a 35-foot eagle putt. The Swede, Victor Hovland, sank a 25-foot birdie putt uphill. A horrible day. Scotty Scheffler and Xander lost by nine holes in foursome play. They stopped stopped that match after the – let me think here. After the – I want to say 12th hole. Really? They they lost nine holes – in their first match. Uh, Patrick Candelay had a 45-foot birdie putt that triggered the U.S. comeback on Sunday, but there was too big a hole. Roy McElroy, who played well, got into a yelling incident with a caddy, a caddy uh, at the end of his round, saying the caddy was trying to distract him. And Team USA boards the plane in Italy to come home, having lost seven times in a row on European soil in the Ryder Cup. They've not won since 1993. Sure looks like Europe is putting out the best players on the pro golf tour right now. 
Oh yeah, scoreboard does not lie. Um, but I'll tell you what, that crowd was uh, was fired up. It was like the Waste Management Open in Phoenix. You know, they were excited. They were rooting on their guys. They were trying to tear down the Americans. So I love seeing when golf kind of gets beyond its snooty sort of uh, personality and got, and people have some fun at those tournaments. So good on them. I mean, when this comes around every two years, right, Lee? So right. you're, the, you're the one in the back of the of the gallery that held up the sign, birdies and belligerents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah, I made a quick trip out there to Italy for the trip. Um, but, you know, it's a terrific event. I enjoyed it. And it's just kind of interesting how it's not metal play, you know, the way these holes are halved and just the way they keep score. It just kind of keeps you on your toes as a fan. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our Monday bonus podcast. He's there back in San Diego. I'm here in the Northern Adirondacks. Brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. We will be back on Thursday for our regular podcast. Hope you'll be with us then. John, have yourself a great start to the week. We'll catch you towards the end of the week. And for our many followers on our live stream, thanks for being part of Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.